0: Mike, how was your weekend? Yeah, It was good, Paul. How was yours? It was great. Went out to eat way too many times. Too much good food out there right now. Some good Italian places and others. It's nice to be able to go back and actually sit down and have a nice meal. Exactly. But speaking of going out, going to the movie theaters, this weekend was a very interesting one, as always. Shazam! We have to talk about Shazam! Fury of the Gods perceived as a bit of a disappointment here, a little underperformance, around $30.5 million, far less than the $52, 53000000 that the first Shazam opened to. The first Shazam had much better reviews. This one did not have anywhere near the kind of groundswell behind it. But as you mentioned in your weekend commentary, Mike, family audiences, they were going to come out more on Saturday and Sunday, which I think they did. It got a nice little bump on Saturday.
1: Yeah. You know, look, You want to put a positive spin on it. It was the fifth week in a row that the number one movie was 30 million or better.
0: There you go. I like that positive spin.
1: That's something to look at. And it was number one, Mike. It's another number one. It was number one. But look, let's be realistic. Pre release expectations had the movie doing 35, which was still a little bit of a a hit from what you mentioned the original one did or the, the first edition. So. I would say it's probably a disappointment all the way around. But as we have been saying, this is not indicative of people coming back to the
0: movies as we were talking about last week. This is just the cycle of what happens with movies. It is. You're so right. We always talk about that. The ups and downs means we're what, Mike, normal. We're like in a traditional marketplace right now. I think all of us who
1: have worked on films over the course of our career, you know, unfortunately this is something that happens like this is not something that is oh my god the bells are ringing off it's just like you know there are projects that don't perform the way you'd like them to perform
0: and in this case and dc mike is like a ship that needs to be righted so to speak they've got the new james gunn and peter saffron coming in yeah i think the key thing here is the ship is being righted. I think that James Gunn, coming
1: out of the Marvel family, he understands the blueprint that they put together and how they have an arc of a storyline that covers several films. And his vision is going to start with the reboot of the Superman franchise that they announced last week. So this is kind of left over from the previous regime and how it works into whatever the long term plan they have is. It all remains to be seen
0: and it can take years mike for this to get this vision of the future for dc to be locked in because then of course you have to go through all the films that were greenlit before and that were developed before this new regime and that takes time look i mean if you look back at what marvel did when they first launched iron
1: man and put this whole thanos storyline together i mean that was years in the making and to get to the first avenger movie took several films. That's right. I mean, they were really smart. What they did in my mind is they established each character in its own way and that they didn't jump to the payoff. They made the payoff worth the wait is what it comes down to. And I know the inclination is we'll get all these superheroes together and that will be the billion dollar prize. Right. But you have to have the audiences with a reason to get to the billion dollar prize. And I think Marvel understood that and laid the groundwork. And I think James Gunn coming in from the Marvel family, that's exactly what he's going to do with DC, is put it on a plane that will get it to where they want it to be over the course of time. So when you look at Fury of the Gods, this is kind of leftover from whatever the last incarnation of what that DC universe was going to look
0: like. It's sort of like Eternals. You know, that's even happened with Marvel, where there have been some films left over that they will get out there in the marketplace. And then it's about, I think, rebuilding momentum. And look, The Flash is coming out on June 16. We could do a whole episode on that. The backstory in that movie, pretty unbelievable. But I think that one will be another key step on this journey for DC.
1: Yeah, I mean, and if you want to get back to the real nuts and bolts of what went on this weekend, it was a solid weekend at the box office. Okay, Shazam came in a little under expectations. All right, everybody acknowledges that, but... Scream 6 was almost identical in its playoff to Scream of last year. And then you had Creed, which is really impressive. So Creed, I looked it up, Paul, based on where they were and depending on how the final gross comes out today, this movie, Creed 3, will end up being the highest grossing film out
0: of the Rocky Cinematic Universe.
1: Marvel's not the only one to have a cinematic universe.
0: (laughs) That's true. And it's the highest of the Creed movies through this weekend of just the
1: Creed 1, 2, and 3. Well, the highest grossing Rocky film is Rocky Four from back in 85 at 127.6 or something like this. And this came in a hundred grand under with the Sunday estimates. So as of tomorrow or today or whenever you listen to this, it will be the highest grossing Rocky movie to date, which is
0: pretty unbelievable. But Mike, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I love that you brought that up. We have to do an adjusted for inflation on the Rocky series. <laughs> you know what? You're saying
1: exactly what my wife said to me yesterday. She said, so, but what is that? in 1985 dollars
0: and i'm like yeah it's not even close but anyway <laughs> <laughs> but anyway folks uh no but i i'm really glad you brought that up one other thing i want to bring up quickly apropos to the oscars is that everything everywhere all at once in weekend 52 mike and we know what 52 is yes one year that's one year 260 percent uptick in theatrical revenue E-24 added 1,049 theaters in Weekend 52 for your best picture winner. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. That movie is available at home, people. I believe it's still a premium. No, actually, you
1: can stream that. I mean, it's available on Showtime. That's where I watched it. Oh, okay. And you're looking at, to your point one point two five million for the weekend, bringing the grand total to over $75 million, which is just phenomenal.
0: Phenomenal. What's the worldwide on that? Do you have that number? I don't have it right in front of me. <laughs> I think I'll grab it up. But you know what's interesting about that is that who wins in this scenario is the Oscars win because this shows that having that Oscar halo effect definitely worked for everything everywhere. It was great for the studio and it's great for theaters to have a movie like this come in at number 11 on the box office chart a year after its release. And Mike, let's face it, had this movie not been the juggernaut it was, had it not received the accolades and, of course, the Oscar nominations and the win for Best Picture, this film would have finished out six months ago. Or no, maybe more than six months ago, it would have been done and it wouldn't have made 75 million. So, a great movie getting that critical buzz. Obviously, audiences loved it, but to be one year after its release and one week after the Oscars, number 11 with a 260% uptick and also The Whale. Also for May 24, showing that it's not just about Best Picture, but also Best Actor for Brendan Fraser. They added 400 theaters for that. The Whale in Weekend 15 had 128% uptick in theaters. And I think this one's available somewhere at home, maybe premium VOD, but that's incredible.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing about Everything Everywhere All at Once, it was really kind of the first indie movie post-pandemic to really break out and work its way into the consciousness of of the American fabric and became a movie that everybody wanted to see in a movie theater and wanted to see. And as you mentioned with the awards last week, it even gets, you know, a higher profile now. I mean, it was a fun movie. I love Michelle Yeoh in this movie. She was absolutely fantastic and you know the backstory where originally they had offered Jackie Chan the role of playing the person who worked through all the multiverses I can't imagine anyone else other than her being able to pull this off
0: and pull it off with the acting gravitas that she did. Mike you're perfectly setting me up for talking about John Wick 4 because aging action stars are hot right now and actors over 50 are hot right now and everything everywhere. Most of the stars in everything everywhere were of a certain age. And I could say this because I'm of a certain age and I can say that. And coming up with John Wick 4, I looked this up, Mike. The first John Wick movie was an hour and 36 minutes. That's lean and mean. Second movie was two hours and two minutes. Third movie, two hours and 23 minutes. And John Wick 4, a franchise high. Two hours and 49 minutes, and the early buzz is tremendous on this film.
1: You know, Paper Airplane Team is working very diligently on John Wick 4, so we've been very involved. I have not had an opportunity to see it yet. Some of the production people I've talked to about it said, you are going to see things in this movie you have never seen in an action movie before. Knowing how the director puts these things together and having spoken with him before about his process and how he looks at an action scene. I can't wait. Yeah. Because they're very innovative in how they put these scenes together. Now, pre release projections have this movie around 70 million to open, which would be the highest of the Wick franchise. Don't be surprised if that number actually is a little bit higher.
0: Here's a bold prediction on tickets. Right, so John Wick Chapter Three: Parabellum released May 17, 2019, opened to 56.8 million dollars. That's so far the franchise high debut. John Wick Chapter Two, which came out February 10 of 17, opened to 30.4 million. The first John Wick, and remember, and Mike, you know this better than anyone. Lionsgate put that out October 24. 2014, it opened with $14.4 million, but went on to make $43 million domestic, almost $90 million worldwide. So, I'm going to give you a little backstory
1: on the original John Wick. So, the original John Wick was independently financed and produced. There was an acquisition screening in Century City. Every studio was invited, and we were there, and we watched the movie. And if you rewind to 2014, and this was in July of 2014, when this screening took place. Keanu Reeves had not really been in a major theatrical film in quite some time, so it wasn't like Keanu today where he's the bankable box office star. Every studio looked at him. We actually, and David Spitz, the president of worldwide distribution at Lionsgate, gets all the credit on this one. He looked at it and he was like, Look, we have a hole in our schedule. We could go in October with this movie if you guys are ready. But that's the only time we can go because our schedule had been filled up and Kingsman had just moved out of October. So there was a gaping hole for an action film. Spitz realized it. Basically, everybody got together and said, absolutely, we can do that. Paul, this is the end of July of 2014. First week of August, we're working on this movie. You fast track this baby. We totally fast track this baby. We opened this thing up in October, and the legend is born. And that's a true story on how that... And I can't tell you, the production people, Keanu, the whole team, couldn't have been more accommodating. They were in from day one. They knew it was going to be a mad dash. And for those listening who are not necessarily from the background of Releasing a motion picture to do something in six to eight weeks is virtually unheard of. You need months to put these campaigns and these programs together. But, you know, the wonderful thing about Lionsgate was very nimble, very quick to be able to move, be able to put the entire campaign together. As you turn it around, you know, Tim Palin, who was the head of marketing at the time, put a fantastic campaign together
0: and really leaned into the unique action of it. Yep. I love the fact that like the original Austin Powers movie was not a big opener. I believe the second Austin Powers made more in its opening weekend than the first film did in its entire domestic run. I remember seeing this movie, I gotta admit, for the first time at home. I'm like, oh my god, this is the coolest movie ever. Then by the time John Wick 2 and then John Wick 3, which, by the way, made $22.6 million in its opening day, whereas the first John Wick made $14.4 million in its opening weekend. This is a case of not diminishing returns, but the absolute opposite. Building over time, the quality has actually, in my opinion, improved, if not at least kept that great quality of the action, the story, and all of it. It's just been a perfectly presented and executed franchise that, like you said, kind of came out of this screening and every studio, it's sort of like an unsigned band and nobody takes them on. They end up being one of the biggest bands in the world. This is like that where... Lionsgate, your team over there discovered this movie and ran with it, ran with it quickly.
1: And Chad Stachowski, who is the director of the film and who is the visionary behind it, but partners with, you know, Keanu on these things. They're very in sync on what they do and what they're thinking about for the character. And Chad's really all about the choreographing of these scenes. So when you're looking at those fight scenes, they're almost done like a ballet. Yes. They're almost choreographed in the same way. And I actually asked him about that, and it's a conscious decision of his. And he was telling me one of the fight scenes that they did for Chapter 3, it was so intricately choreographed that they were able to get it done in about three days and he said on a if you were doing it any other way it would probably take you three weeks to do that that one scene but the way they put it together and it offers him a unique perspective when he sets those things up and most of this stuff it's not digitally altered as far as the the stunts go those are all happening, and that's why you'll hear Keanu Reeves talk about he's got to be in good shape to pull these things off.
0: And that it's amazing. And David Leach, I believe, they co directed the first one. And David Leach, Bullet Train, and Atomic Blonde. And there were a couple scenes in Atomic Blonde where they showed the blocking of the fight scene. And the director, I believe David Leach, was a stunt person actually before directing. Both Chad and David were stunt people, and they
1: actually met Keanu or worked with him on the Matrix movies, the original Matrix movies. That's where the friendship and the trust was kind of came together. And, you know, over the course of time, they always wanted to do the Wick movie, they had this vision of how it would play out. Here we are, as you said. Nine years later, on this, we're now at John Wick Chapter Four, which is probably one of the most anticipated films of the year. Like I said, with an anticipated opening around 70, I would expect that to be more. It's going to be, it goes from the acquisition screening we had in Century City to every premium format, you know, is going to be opening the film this weekend. So, yeah. You heard it here first, people. You know, IMAX and Dolby and Cineonic and, you know, D-Box and, you know, all of the all of those are going to be out there. So it's really great. I'm really happy for all those guys because they are, in addition to being great filmmakers, they're actually really good people as well.
0: That's a great. Again, Mike, you keep setting these up for me. I love it. You know, Keanu Reeves is known as one of the nicest guys in Hollywood, not to be so trite. It is true. You hear this about him. He just seems like this regular guy who would help you cross the street or <laughs> it is be uh, there's no star artifice about him and i think people love that about him that he has his humanity here's what i'll say about having been in
1: many meetings with him it's all true like there's no phoniness about it like he is a sincere guy who quick story i'll digress real quick our first meeting on john wick kiana walks in drives his motorcycle up to the office parked it out front right comes in he's got his motorcycle helmet And he's basically like, is there a place I can put this? Like in a very nice way, not like handing it to somebody (laughs) here to take care of it. Right. It's so refreshing. But that's how he is. I'm not professing like Keanu and I are great buddies or anything like that. I'm just being like, I've been in a few meetings with him. (laughs) And just the interaction we've had, because there's other celebrities that I've been in meetings with where I would not be as necessarily saying the same thing. Right.
0: But I think, Mike, that comes through, and it makes it even more appealing that this guy who absolutely kicks ass on screen. But in the movie, he doesn't come off like a malicious, evil person. No. He's on a mission, a righteous mission. So you never feel like, I mean, you could almost see where the Keanu and this character meld together. It's like very zen and also very calm in a way until it's time not to be calm. I think people love that about him and about this character. Nobody else could play John Wick but Keanu Reeves. Let's just put it that way.
1: You're absolutely right. I did want to also acknowledge, obviously, there was some sad news that came out of the Wick universe on Friday. Yeah, that's right. And that is Lance Reddick, who played the hotel concierge at the Continental, passed away without any warning or anything like that. You know, it's a shock to the whole family is what it comes down to.
0: Absolutely. And what a wonderful actor and a great role. And he was the gentleman who John Wick entrusted his dog to. Yes. Who would like hand off the dog so John Wick could go do his thing. And it was just a wonderful actor. And it's sad news. 60 years old. Definitely this movie will be dedicated to Lance. Just a phenomenal after.
1: Yeah. And and I just wanted to make sure that, you know, we touched upon that and acknowledged it, his contributions to the franchise as well. Yeah. Again, and another, let's kind of segue back to overall positive box office news for a second. And that is a couple of milestones in addition to everything this weekend. Jesus Revolution, Paul, which you and I were on the forefront of a few weeks ago when we spoke with, with Brandon Gregory. And I think everybody was going like, why are they talking to this guy? The movie is well on its way to $50 million of domestic box office. It just crossed
0: the $45 million mark. On Ticket to Ride, we had the president of Kingdom Story Company who produced the film on Ticket to Ride. And they just announced
1: their next film, which will be coming out in October, Ordinary Angels. So Kingdom Story Company will be added again.
0: We could have Brandon on again and then Champions... Paul Brooks who we had that, on that
1: you know that that hung in there really well this
0: weekend yeah. did another
1: did 3 million bucks is over the 10 million dollar mark which is a very solid result for a very good movie
0: so mike we have the number 7 and 8 film where we've had producers from both those films Jesus Revolution and Champions on ticket to ride, I'm very happy to say. And just looking ahead, the streak of the thirty
1: million dollar openers looks like it's going to be continuing yep. for the, the foreseeable future. Dungeons uh, and dragons. We mentioned Wick this week. We got Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons the following week, and then of course Mario Brothers <laughs> after that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Somebody reminded you know, might have been you, Paul. Did you were you the one who said this looks like it could be in the vein of sonic uh the hedgehog kind of thing yeah
0: yeah Yeah. i think the numbers are going to be huge on super mario and in some ways mario
1: is probably a little more accessible than sonic was because you know i think mario has a much
0: wider swath of audience that you know is familiar with the game and has been part of it absolutely and if you think about it you know the video games historically have had a pretty uneven track record but it, that's changing. Films based on video games, especially since 2016, like with the Sonic the Hedgehog films, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, the Angry Birds movie, the first one actually earned more than 100 million domestically. But those movies I just mentioned collected 1.65 billion worldwide between the Sonic the Hedgehog films, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, the Angry Birds movies, 1.65 billion worldwide. That's since those were all released since 2016. So maybe the curse of the video game movie is officially over, Mike.
1: Well, I, I don't know if we're ready to say it's officially over yet, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely looking better. And then real quick before we wrap up, Paul, because we really leaned into this last year. We talked about the number of films that weren't out in the marketplace. I think we should talk about the number of films that are in the marketplace now. Yeah. Yeah. And coming into this weekend, you put a interesting stat together. I think we were at 17 wide releases because I count auto as a wide release. Yeah, And then I think we were at 12 at the same period a year ago. You know, we're already seeing that separation. And then from a box office standpoint, we're 28% or
0: so ahead of where we were uh, last year. That's right. Our comm score data is showing that and we're catching up, Mike. And over the coming weeks and months, we're going to see start to get back to those more 2019 feeling kind of numbers, I think. I'm not going to say that we're going to hit 11 billion this year. I'm not going to say, I don't even know if that would be possible, but compared to where we were, it's incredible, Mike. We could not be doing this podcast at a better time because every week there's so much to talk about. And with John Wick coming up, we're dedicating this episode to Lance Reddick, the wonderful actor who recently passed away. So we're devoting this episode to Lance Reddick, right, Mike? Absolutely. One last thing to and then uh, we
1: can call it a wrap. I just want people to take a look at April on your release calendar. For those of you who who have access to the release calendar, I think there's 17 wide releases that are uh, on the schedule. Between uh, March 31st and the end of April. Absolutely nutty. It's packed.
0: <laughs> now whether all those will be hits, I don't know.
1: But that's a different story, but a year <laughs> ago we were talking about lack of content. Oh I know that is not an issue anymore.
0: What a difference a year makes, Mike. Now we're talking about we've got too many movies. <laughs> well, um yeah, I would
1: think that our exhibitor friends in a nice way would say you never can have too many movies, but uh, this at least lets them pick and choose a little bit more about what they want to do. Well,
0: it shows how we have to redefine our narrative, Mike, the narrative that we've been talking about all last year. It was like we were down 41 films. Yeah, that's why I wanted to bring it up just now because I did. really
1: wanted to sit there and say like, OK, we've been talking about you're going to see more percentage wise. I know it's only 17 to 12, but I mean, what is that It's 30? percent more 40 percent more something like that
0: nice bump we'll take it all right mike well this was a good one we got to get in notes about shazam and creed and of course john wick and jesus revolution and champions and the oscar bounce and all that great stuff this is what you get when you listen to ticket to ride with mike Polydors, president of paper airplane media and i'm paul garabedian senior media analyst for comscore and we'll see you next week on ticket to ride have a good one paul see you later